First of all, welcome. This is a podcast that I'm trying to put together with uh, some stories and some uh, anecdotes about how I met and fell in love with my wife. And uh, I'm making it for my family, for my friends, and whoever wants to listen. I think it's a good story. So uh, let's get started. Every time someone asks me about my life story, I have to recount and remember how lucky I am to be where I am right now. Nobody knows how many twists and turns life will throw at them. I would have never imagined seeing the things I have seen, being to the places I have been to, or doing the things that I have done. Most of the following stories have been polished and told over and over in cockpits and bars and restaurants all over the country. Not by many people, mostly by myself to a friend or another pilot. It is also very common to engage in a conversation with my captains and flight attendants about our personal life, almost the unwritten rule of flying. I once met a flight attendant who said that coming out to the cockpit is like speed dating. Where are you from? What do you do? Where have you been? Stuff like that while the other pilot is in a quick five minute bathroom break. By far, the best part of my life has been my amazing wife. She has always given me the highest support and courage to do things. Also, she gave me the sweetest part of my life with my two amazing daughters. Our usual day-to-day -day life is not very usual. Sometimes I am away from home for long periods of time. Sometimes I work late, sometimes I work early. But there is only one constant to all my crazy routine. Lori. She seems to keep everyone and everything balanced, and I have not enough words to thank her for all the diligence to our very own and unusual family. I do apologize in advance for the lack of organization and ups and downs from these stories. I promise to stick to the truth and events as close as it is to reality as my sharp mind remembers them. I will share them with you to give you the best picture of what Lori and I have been through before we got married 10 years ago, which has been an amazing time. First things first. I was born in Escaposalco, Distrito Federal, five days before Christmas of 1982. I consider myself very lucky to have been born into such a loving and caring family. My childhood was always filled with moments that I cherish to this date. Like everything, there were little hiccups here and there but nothing that I wasn't fixed with a good cintoronazo by my dad or a heart-to-heart -heart talk with my mom. My mom and dad loved each other. They were high school sweethearts and lived in the same street since they were in elementary school. I believe that the way they treated each other and their family is reflected today in the relationship that I have with my wife and my daughters. As far as I know, my dad and my mom were never mad or angry at each other. One time, when I was about nine years old, my dad went to an office party. He got very drunk and tried to hold the piñata, climbing on top of some wall that was just about to fall. Gravity and alcohol did their duty, and down went my father, landing on his left leg and having to wear a cast for three months. That night, all drunk and broken-legged, he tried to get home to his loving wife, only to be denied entry to the house by my Lala, I guess you can expect a very serious argument after all that. Any other husband would probably be irate at his wife. But that never happened between them. 
Even after not being allowed into his own house, I never remember an argument or disrespect or resentment between my parents. And that is something that I admire and emulate from them every day. I also remember growing up always idolizing and following my sister's footsteps. I am very aware that she took full advantage of knowing how much I loved just being with her. She used to make me do her chores, like make her bed or pull her clothes away, or clean up her room in exchange for me to sleep over in her bedroom or watch TV with her. I think it was all worth it, even after being taken advantage of. I love her to death. The other amazing part of my family is Lala. I was always being taken care of and watched by my Lala. She's not my biological grandmother, she's not my babysitter, and she was not our maid. She's just Lala. A person so amazing that changed my father's diapers, my own diapers, and my daughter's diapers too. She had to quit school and find a job at a very young age. She told me stories of her working as a cleaning lady in a hotel, or as a cook in a restaurant, or even as a maid in someone's house. She is still as strong as a horse, even at her 90s, taking care of herself and spending time reading or just hanging out with her son. I am lucky to have her influence my life as it is right now. As much as I love my family and friends in Mexico, I always wanted to be a student at a university in the United States. The amazing institutions and structures surrounding college campuses always amazed me. Huge parties were also appealing. Turns out my father, in his amazing wisdom, believed that the best option for us to have a better life was moving to the United States and living here. When I was only six years old, he sent a letter to the U.S. Immigration Office requesting for my mom, sister, himself, and me to live in Las Vegas, where my aunts had moved there back in the 70s and 80s. The response from the government agency took approximately 12 years, right when I was finishing high school in Mexico. My dreams of attending college in the U.S. were getting really close. In the summer of 2000, right after graduation, my sister and I moved to Vegas with our aunt and started working and researching our options for higher education. What we did not count on was how expensive this dream was. College fees, college fees and cost of living were out of reach for our parents. So my father said, I can only pay for one of you to go to college. The other one will have to figure it out. And because my sister had already had two years of college under her belt, it made more sense for her to finish her schooling and for me to figure it out. My tia Chela, one of my dad's sisters that lives in Las Vegas, had the great idea of me joining the Air Force to pay for my education. To this date, I believe that was her brightest moment ever. She drove me to Nellis Air Force Base in North Las Vegas, trying to get me to join the military right there and then. I remember the face of the gate guards when this crazy Mexican lady who speaks very broken English was trying to get us in base and making me join the Air Force. Eventually, they did end up pointing us to the right direction, the North Las Vegas recruiting office. So I started talking to the Air Force dudes about joining and they told me all about the options of going all over the world with the Air Force and getting paid and getting money for school on top of that. Seemed like a great deal. So great that my sister started looking into it too. And uh, just as any brother would do, I wanted to one-up my sister. 
So far, she had been better than me at everything. Better grades, not getting trouble at home, two years ahead of me in school, basically being perfect and better than me all around. I asked the Air Force recruiter what was the difference between them and the other branches of service. He said, your quality of life will be 10 times better with us than any other branch. So then I went across the street to the Marine Corps recruiting office and asked the same question to a Marine recruiter. His answer was, we are the best. We take no shit from no one, tip of the sword, best branch, not even close. So the Marine Corps had me at that. So for once in my life, I would be better than my sister. And just after four years of rigorous military service, mostly sitting in a warehouse, looking at a computer and eating pizza, I ended up in Phoenix, going to a private, nothing to do with a military flight school in Deer Valley Airport. My time in flight school was very fun. Not a lot of people get to experience flight school or know exactly how it works. Basically, you show up for ground school classes for about two to three hours a day, and then you go fly a plane with a cabin smaller than a two-door sedan and play around with a plane for another two hours a day. Having all this freedom and expense was expensive. Having all this freedom was expensive, and at some point it actually got a little boring. One of the students at my school introduced me to Ramiro. Ramiro was a bar bartender at a steakhouse close to the airport where my school was in. He also cleaned up airplanes in his spare time and worked lunch shifts and worked lunch shifts at a Chinese place from time to time. The guy is a hard worker and, like myself, loved drinking beer and having a good time. Quickly, Ramiro and I became good friends and he suggested that I should get a job at the Black Angles with him. I ended up working part-time serving with him, mostly just to pay for my bar tabs and get free food at the restaurant. Working there was the funnest job I have ever had. Most of all the servers were young and doing the same thing I was working to pay rent and barely survive on the rest of the money to go out every night. Fly school was always my first priority and I never wasted time when it came to flying. One of the special things about flight school is that it lasts about as long as you can afford it. For example, if you prepaid, if you prepaid the flight hours, about 250 of them, the school will make sure you're out of there in less than a year so that other students, so that other students can come in and make more money. I did not come up short on the money from time to time, but nothing that my parents were not able to help me out and get fixed within a couple of days. At the end, flight school lasted about a year and a half for me. One day, when I had some spare time, Ramiro offered a free couch to a few of the guys who were living together in an apartment near the airport. The only catch was that we had to get the couch from Ramiro's girlfriend's place. It was an easy job, three, maybe four people max. So we used a small truck and drove it down to the apartment. Ramiro, two of the guys from the flight school, and myself. We were in and out quickly, with all the work done by everyone else while they took a supervisory role. I remember Ramiro had his in-laws family in town, and we didn't want to take much of their time. I just popped in, not to be rude, and said hi. I remember there were about five people in the place. Ramiro's girlfriend, a very nice older lady, a couple, maybe in their 50s, and a very cute redhead. 
whom I assumed was Ramiro's sister-in-law. So we loaded up and took the couch and continued with our own very usual shenanigans. One day, I was working on a closing shift at the restaurant. I noticed a pretty girl sitting by herself at the bar having a beer. I walked back here a couple of times to make sure she was there by herself. And I even made sure she was not there to meet with the bartender. I finally got the courage and, I, and decided to come up to her and start a conversation. It sounds easy to do, and some people are really good at it. I am not one of those people. After about five minutes of awkward conversation, I went to the back of the kitchen, where Ramiro's girlfriend, Brooke, was finishing her closing up duties as a server. I told her that there was a cute girl at the bar and that I was going to ask for her number. She said that her sister was coming to pick her up, and she was definitely single and that I should go for it. So after being endorsed by her sister, I went up to the girl at the bar and asked if she wanted to go out someday, maybe meet up for a movie and dinner. Amazingly, she said yes. She wrote her number and uh, name in a paper napkin and told me to call her. That was the second time I've ever seen Lori. The first time was that day we got the couch from Ramiro's girlfriend apartment. Anyway, I had her number now, and that's great. So what do I do now? I did not know what to tell her or how to plan something together to go out. I had no idea what was she like, and it was up to me to come up with a plan. I definitely didn't. I texted Lori a couple of times, but got no response. I would like to think that I was too far ahead of my time because texting was not really the way to communicate back then. You actually had to call a person and talk to them. Needless to say, Lori did not want anything to do with the texter and she did not bother to talk to me much after that. One time in a Cinco de Mayo party in 2006, my flight time and my serving time were coming to an end. I was really close to getting my pilot certificate and had made a decision to go back to Mexico and work for an airline down there instead of staying here in the US and becoming a flight instructor to build up my flight time. The idea to go back to Mexico came initially from all the Mexican guys who were in the school with me and had planned to do the same once they finished their training in Arizona. Most of them had a very close relative in Mexico who had already been working for Aero Mexico for years and had therefore a hiring preference over everyone else. My instructor, Federico, left Phoenix about six months ahead of me, and in that short period of time, he already had a job in Mexico flying a 50-passenger regional plane. I was faced with two options. Stay in school, working at least six or more months in flight school to become an instructor, and then two years of teaching, or go to Mexico in a couple of months and start flying commercially right away. I went with that option. Before I left for Mexico, I decided to throw an amazing Cinco de Mayo party. In Mexico, we never celebrate Cinco de Mayo, but it's always a good excuse to drink and party in the United States. I got together with Ramiro and his friend Brian, and we planned to have one keg and a margarita pitcher at my house and charge five bucks at the door for people to come in and have a good time. I invited everyone from the flight school, everyone from Black Angus, and everyone from my previous restaurant. I don't really know how many people showed up, but I remember not being able to count how much money we made from charging the $5 cover. We ran out of beer almost immediately, so I threw a bunch of bills at Brian and we got together and bought another keg, which also was finished before 10 p.m. By that point, I don't remember who went for the other keg, 
I had set up a beer pong table outside with my bedroom door on top of a couple stools, and music was blasting, the grill was going, it was a great time. Among the sea of people at my house, I saw that Brooke was there with her sister. I had a chance to talk to her again, and this time make sure she would go out with me. She was a little quiet at first, but I remember we hit it off as time passed by. We went into the house and I asked her to dance. I believe she liked that, and after a while, she said we should arm wrestle, and if I won, I would take her out on date. We arm wrestled and we were set out to go out the next Friday. First date. The day had finally come when I would be able to go on a date with Lori. I honestly do not remember what we talked about during our date. I'm sure about what I told her about the time when I was working next door and we used to play baseball with the frozen dough balls and we used to make tortillas with. Or about the time I snuck around the bar while I was working and filled up my Nalgene bottle with margaritas and told people that I was drinking lemonade. Luckily, Lori does remember a very unique moment from our date. I remember we started talking about camping and how much I hated doing it. The Marine Corps had definitely spoiled camping for me. I do not understand why a person would voluntarily leave the comfort of their home and sit in the middle of nowhere for just the fun of camping. But I was having a great time during the date and it seemed to me that camping was a topic that interested Lori. I was trying to tell a story about how miserable it was to set up a house for camping in the middle of the night in the Marines. And Lori immediately stopped me and said, house for camping? You mean tent? Uh, well, yes, I meant a tent, but sometimes my brain doesn't work as fast as my mouth. And words that I do not remember in English come to me in Spanish in my brain. And the little translation of Casa de Campaña is house for camping, not tent. So here I was, all embarrassed about my non-perfect English, trying to impress a girl who loves camping and just saw me order a fruity drink and basically sabotage myself on our very own first date. I was thinking I had no chance that this went well. I knew there would be better guys that Lori had more things in common with and that I would have no chance for a second date. However, the whole time we talked, we seemed to have a good time complete opposites that somehow found middle ground. I ended up having a blast during our date. We walked back to the car holding hands. Then, all of a sudden, I, as I walked in front of her to get the door, we kissed. And I was so excited, so happy, so surprised. It was like I was walking on top of the clouds back then. It was an amazing feeling. But now, the most crucial part of a date was coming. I was ready to give Lori the test. And if you don't know what that is, you must put down this book immediately and go watch the movie called A Bronx Tale. In the movie, the main character took a girl out on a date, and to make sure she was one of the great ones, his mentor, a mobster from New York City, told him to give her the test. For the test to work correctly, you have to make sure the car doors are all locked. Then, you have to unlock the car door with your key and let the girl in. After closing the door for her, you must make your way to your seat by walking behind the car. Making sure she cannot see you, you have to look through the back window and see if she wants to open the door for you. If she doesn't reach across her seat and unlock the driver's door for you, that means she failed the test. And at that point, you dump her and you dump her fast. Lori passed the test. She was definitely one of the great ones. Thank you, Italian Master.
So at this point, I would like to take a break, pause this episode, or finish this episode of the podcast, and um, come back in a later date and tell more of my stories about myself and my wife, especially my wife. And um, as it is our first anniversary today, I would like to emphasize the point that this was all an idea that I had to put together for her. And uh, hopefully, after I work diligently in more material for these stories, we'll come back and record the second, third, fourth, and fifth part of this uh, podcast. So, there it goes. <laughs>